Welcome to another episode of the Alter Your Health Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, hello and welcome. We value your time and energy and hope you receive a lot from tuning in. As a listener-supported show, we rely on you to help us grow. We'd be so grateful if you share the show or a favorite episode with a friend or fellow health seeker. Living a healthy and nourishing life doesn't always come easily, especially in today's crazy world. But that's why we're here, doing what we love, hopefully helping you along with information and inspiration that fuels your health pursuits. If you're looking for more support, consider subscribing to the monthly Meal Guide membership. Just $11 per month gets you access to a weekly meal guide filled with healing and delicious whole food plant-based recipes, along with invitations to our regularly scheduled support calls where we can connect, answer questions, and keep the good vibes flowing in our healthy lives. You can learn more at www.alter.health slash meal dash guides. And if you're looking for more in-depth support, check out our other services. We offer both one-on-one consulting as well as educational programs. All of our current offerings are listed at www.alter.health. Our ultimate goal is to empower you to heal yourself. Keeping with that theme, let's dive into today's show. All right, welcome to another episode of the Alter Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Ben, and we are continuing talking about some of the scary plant foods uh, that a lot of nutritional fear mongers are still, let's face it, catching some prey and getting people to be afraid of eating whole plant foods. And what we're talking about this week is the nightshade family of vegetables, and other foods, I guess. There's other foods that are in, night, in the nightshade family, like goji berries. Who would have thought that goji berries? I thought that those were like some superfood, but it turns out goji berries have toxic compounds that can cause inflammation and other problems in your body. Do you believe that? Well, Today, we're going to get to the truth of this nightshade conversation. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Just another reminder, if you want to join us in our spring cleanse, head on over and claim the discount at www.alter.health/cleanse. We're really excited to cleanse this spring. And spoiler alert, there may or may not be some nightshade vegetable consumption associated with this cleanse. Uh, I I guess before we dive into talking about nightshades, I just want to point out that, you know, the awesome thing about whole food plant-based nutrition is that there are thousands and thousands of different whole plant foods that we can choose to eat. Next week, I think we're going to talk about gluten, another really scary protein that is found in all but, or actually not all, but in only three whole foods, whole plant foods. Um, So that means there are thousands and thousands of foods that don't contain gluten, right? And those foods are, of course, wheat, barley, and rye, various forms of wheat, other forms of barley and rye. Um, But we'll talk about gluten next week. This week, we're talking about our nightshade plants. Um, Those nightshade plants include potatoes, and uh, bell peppers and other peppers and like spicy peppers like jalapenos and uh, habaneros and those sorts of things, as well as eggplant. And like I said, some odd ones like goji berries. There might be some other ones, but the the, the um, botanical term for this family of plants is the Solanaceae family because these plants, some of which contain a compound called solanine, which is a toxic compound 
a glycoalkaloid. In fact, it's that's the class of compound. And solanine toxicity can cause death. And of course, the most popular deadly nightshade solanine containing uh, plant is belladonna, deadly belladonna, deadly nightshade. There are other deadly nightshades like dartura um, and other ones, I'm sure. I'm not like a botanist, but the moral of the story, you know, we'll just cut right to the chase. You don't want to go out and pick your belladonna berries off the bush and eat them because you might die of nightshade toxicity. Um, so don't eat belladonna and maybe don't eat green potatoes. I don't know if you're planning on eating green potatoes or planning on sauteing potato sprouts or sauteing your, your um, sprouted potatoes, uh, but don't do that because as the potatoes sprout, Apparently, some of this solanine, solanine content increases, and maybe it can become toxic. Probably not to the point where it's going to kill you, like potentially eating a handful of belladonna berries might do, uh, but it'll give you a stomach ache maybe. Um, so we want to avoid that. So let's talk more about these nightshades and what evidence exists that they may or may not be the cause of inflammation and issues in the body. And I want to preface this, uh, this episode by saying that we did already take quite a good dive into the topic um, just about, I guess, a year and a half ago or so. November 15th, 2021, we, we recorded episode number 257 of the Alter Health podcast. So you can go to podcast.alter.health slash 257 to kind of refresh your, your, your memory if you didn't listen to that one. Uh, we talked about some other stuff. Uh, but now I want to show you really what I'm looking at in terms of, and I, th I thought it could be a good opportunity to just kind of share with you my perspective of navigating the scientific literature. Um, so I'm going to be sharing my screen and, and showing you what I'm looking at. And I'll also be uh, communicating this, articulating this for our listening only audience. Um, but I think that this might be helpful just in terms of navigating the crazy world of nutritional science and maybe scientific research in general, because let's face it, there's a lot of BS to sift through in order to find the truth, to find or to understand really what's going on. I, I, I hesitate by saying like the truth, because of course, when we're talking about science, there's an evolving conversation. So that's an important thing to know as well. But let's go back to this question what evidence exists that a um that 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 nightshade vegetables nightshade plants can cause inflammation i'm going to share my screen and i'm just going to show you what i'm looking at so i went into pubmed and if you're not familiar with pubmed it's like the database of all scientific literature that has been published pubmed.ncbi.nlm.nih.gov right it's an nih thing uh, National Library 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 Lab, Library of Medicine. So I just typed in PubMed database search engine, uh, nightshade and inflammation. You'd think like some there'd be some research, right? Um, I found 23 results, and quite honestly, none of them even have anything to do with nightshade plants and inflammation. Here's a treatment. Uh, first thing is a treatment of seborrheic dermatitis. Uh, you know dandruff. Um, there's nothing, I don't, I don't know why. 
I don't know why the night shift, why uh, this this came up. Um, the second thing, the second uh, search result is lycopene in the prevention of cardiovascular disease. I think that this is kind of interesting. Of course, again, there's no like nothing in this study has anything to do with nightshade other than the fact that lycopene is a phytonutrient that is found in pretty much all nightshade plants, especially tomatoes and peppers and eggplants and probably goji berries. I don't know about potatoes. Potatoes are that that nightshade vegetable that I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about potatoes in a little bit. Um, so, so anyways, like, like, like is one of those phytonutrients that just so happens to coexist with the solanine, except lycopene is touted as this real awesome nutrient that has antioxidative and, uh, you know, anti-inflammatory and anti-cancer properties and so much more. Um, so that's kind of cool. And so, so anyways, I'm just scrolling down here. here here's another tomato. Uh, yeah. Um, let's see. What's this one? Nutraceutical treatment. So yeah, they're looking at lycopene for the treatment of hyper, uh, pr prostatic hyperplasia and prostate cancer, tomato and lycopene, cardiovascular risk factor. So just all this lycopene stuff and like being an anti-inflammatory thing and super helpful for the heart and anti-cancer. Um, so, so nothing, I mean, nothing, zero things about nightshades and health issues or like, you know, inflammation or anything like that. So that's, that's kind of my first glance on the kind of in the PubMed database, like, okay, I'm finding nothing. I'm like coming up empty handed, but I'm going to use my brain a little bit more and I'm going to look at, um, Glyco, so so solanine. I can I can look at solanine and inflammation, right? Or glycolacloids and in, inflammation. And I found this study. I found this study that I will share with you that I think is pretty interesting. You know, it says potato glycoalkaloids adversely affect intestinal permeability and aggravate inflammatory bowel disease. So we're going to look at this study, and really, so much of the theorizing. And so much of the ideas that that nightshades cause inflammation come down to this study or studies like this. And I just want to unpack this in a little bit greater depth to, to show you what they're doing in this study to come to the conclusion, which, quite frankly, is written right in the uh, in the headline or in the title of this article, potato glycoalkaloids adversely affect intestinal permeability and aggravate inflammatory bowel disease. And we know that the stomach or the intestines, our gut health is so important. And if we have uh, increased intestinal permeability, then we're going to potentially have systemic inflammation and all sorts of potential issues. So here's the deal. Uh, I'm just gonna we're just gonna read through this abstract. The background: disruption of epithelial barrier barrier integrity is important in the initiation and cause of inflammatory bowel disease. Glycoalkaloids, solanine, and check. I guess this is the Solanine's little uh, redheaded stepbrother, are naturally present in potatoes, can permeabilize cholesterol-containing membranes, and lead to disruption of epithelial barrier integrity. Frying potatoes concentrates glycoalkaloids. Interestingly, 
the prevalence of IBD is highest in countries where fried potato consumption is highest. Okay. To, well, you know, it's like, okay, fried potatoes cause IBD. I don't, that's kind of what they're eluding. Uh, to further understand the role of potato glycoalkaloids on intestinal barrier integrity, we examine the effect of varying concentrations of solanine and chaconine on intestinal permeability and function. So here's what they did. They took solanine in dose in concentrations of 0 to 50 micromolars and chaconine in concentration of 0 to 20 micromolars or a 1 to 1 mixture, um, 0 to 20 micromolars, were exposed to T84 for cultured epithelial monolayers for varying periods of time to determine concentration response effect on epithelial permeability. So essentially, they took these isolated extracts of these toxic alkaloids and dripped them onto cells in various concentrations. Um, just like this is like an in vitro study, right? Um, so next, a one-to-one mixture of uh, five micromolars of solanine to chaconine uh, was exposed to sheets of normal murine small intestine. So these are not human small intestine, but mouse small intestine um, cells mounted in usine chambers from control and interleukin-10 gene-deficient mice to determine whether glycoalkaloids affect intestine from mice with a genetic predisposition for IBD greater than controls. Finally, the effects of glycoalkaloids on colonic histologic injury were examined in mice, orally fed fed amounts of glycoalkaloids that would normally be consumed in a human diet. So they they thought, okay, like, you know, how many of these glycoalkaloids, how much solanine is in a potato? So let's take a solanine extract out of the context of a potato and put it on these mouse intestine cells and see what happens. That's what they're doing. Okay, like... We'll just do some math, drip that amount of solanine on the mouse intestine cells, see what happens. Here's what happened. Uh, Glycoalkaloids embedded and permeabilized with T84 monolayer epithelial membrane bilayer in a concentration dependent fashion with, yeah, blah, 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 right? Uh, In in vitro usine chamber experiments also illustrated a concentration dependent distribution of intestinal barrier integrity in animals with a genetic predisposition predisposition to develop IPD, but not in control animals. Similarly, in vivo oral feedings experiments uh, demonstrated that C to S uh, uh, chaconine to solanine ingestion at physiologic concentrations aggravated histologic colonic injury in mice genetically predisposed to developing IBD, intestinal bowel disease. So their conclusion from this. So essentially they found that the more, uh, the more of these glycoalkaloids that they exposed to the mouse cells, the mouse intestine cells, the more there was evidence that it could cause increased permeability of these mouse intestines. So they concluded that concentrations of glycoalkaloids normally available when eating potatoes can adversely affect the mammalian mammalian mammal mammal intestines and can aggravate IBD. Um, so there's some issues with this sort of study, which is so common. I'm not like calling this out. This is just the way that so much of the reductionistic nutritional research is being done. They are studying a compound like solanine or these glycoalkaloids that they that cause inflammation, but they're studying them out of the context of the whole plant food, out of the context of the potato that also that also contains tons of fiber 
and antioxidants, in fact, and other vitamins and minerals, etc. that let's face it, our food is complex. And so they're, they're, they're studying these things out of the context of the whole plant food, and then jumping to the, this conclusion that the concentrations of these glycoalkaloids out of the context of the whole plant food is potentially adversely affecting the mammalian intestine. Um, and you know, of course they, they come up with this, this really, you know, it's like, okay, they're saying fried potatoes. And then it's like, well, what, what about the oil that they're frying them in? You know, what's that doing in terms of the adverse effect on gut lining and the, uh, increased, uh, tendency towards inflammatory bowel disease. Um, so oil fried potatoes, but it's the potatoes and not only the potatoes, but it's just this little compound in the potato that is the issue. So that's where they're coming with this conclusion that p- potato glycoalkaloids adversely affect intestinal permeability and aggravate inflammatory bowel disease. That's where this whole idea is stemming from that glycoalkaloid containing foods like, you know, okay, if these compounds are in potatoes and we can study this compound in cells, then we can extrapolate this information into tomatoes and peppers and goji berries. And any food that contains these glycoalkaloid compounds is going to be adversely affecting the intestinal membrane and leading to increased permeability of the gut and therefore potentially creating or exacerbating any inflammatory conditions that might be going on in the body. Um, so I don't know about you, but I don't eat solanine. I don't put solanine on my cells. (laughs) I eat potatoes and potatoes are again, complex, uh, organisms. I want to say that contain way more than solanine. It's not just pulling, putting solanine on my intestinal cells. I'm putting potatoes into my intestines after I chew them. And those potatoes contain fiber, antioxidants, water, carbohydrate, protein, fat, vitamins, minerals, all that mush and, you know, concoction is then going to my intestines. And yeah, there might be some solanine, but is that an issue? Well, let's look at another study that maybe suggests that it's not an issue at all. So I like, I like these studies a little bit better. And Maybe you're, you're hearing this and, and you're hearing my bias. And for sure, I've got a bias. <laughs> I've got a bias based on my own experience and my, what I see and feel and see in, in the real world. Uh, that's mainly what, what colors my perception. Um, in other words, I, I've got a bias towards more holistic kind of ideas versus reductionistic ideas. Um, so the holistic ideas do affirm what I see, if that makes sense. So here's a a study that's kind of cool. The antioxidants in potatoes, a functional view on one of the major food crops worldwide. We'll just read through this abstract real quick. This is, this is more brief. It's not a study. This is a review article, right? Um, So with a growing world population, accelerating climate changes, and limited arable land, it is critical to focus on plant-based resources for sustainable food production. Okay, this is kind of <laughs> going in a different direction. Not, not, I'm not really concerned with the climate conversation as uh, it relates to our uh, gastrointestinal tract and intestinal permeability. But in any event, I continue. 
In addition, plants are a cornucopia for, sedentary, for secondary metabolites, of which many have robust antioxidant capacities and are beneficial for human health. Potato is one of the major food crops worldwide and is recognized by the United Nations as an excellent food source for an increasing world population. Potato, you know, I don't really care what the United Nations say. <laughs> I'll just like pause there. I don't care what the United Nations say. I care what is really the case in terms of like what really potatoes have to offer. So I think it's, you know, that doesn't add to my trust here. I'm just going to say that. Um, that being said, potato tubers are rich in a plethora of antioxidants with an array of health promoting effects. This review article provides a detailed overview about the biosynthesis, chemical, and health-promoting properties of the most abundant antioxidants in potato tubers, including several vitamins, carotenoids, and poly and phenylpropanoids. The di dietary contribution of diverse commensal and primitive cult cultivars are detailed and documented that potato contributes much more than just complex carbohydrates to the diet. Finally, the review provides insights into the current and future potential of potato-based systems as tools and resources for healthy and sustainable food production. Wow, cool. Potato-based systems. So, yeah, you know, I think this is pretty cool because quite frankly, you know, to be honest, I've always kind of related to potatoes as just kind of this fuel source, like it was saying in the article, a source of complex carbohydrates that run my mitochondrial machines and create cellular energy in a clean burning sort of way. But the fact is that as is the case with any whole plant food, there are also vitamins, minerals, antioxidants built into the thing. And these vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, as we always like to remind people, are essential for creating a healthy metabolic function and so on and so forth. Um, so I don't have too much more to say on the topic of nightshades. Um, the, the point, the take-home message is that we can look very singularly, reductionistically in any direction and find anything, <laughs> quite honestly, and then extrapolate our findings to some absurd conclusion that is, in fact, not consistent with observable reality when we're seeing reality and operating in reality from a holistic mindset and understanding. And I don't use the term holistic, meaning like mind, body, spirit. I'm just talking about holistic in the terms of we're eating potatoes and we're talking about potatoes. We're not eating solanine. We're eating the whole potato. That's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about holistic here. We're eating potatoes, not solanine dripped onto our intestinal cells. Um, so, you know, and of course I talked about like, the, I thought that potato study was kind of interesting talking about, oh, not only are potatoes a great source of fuel, and nutrition, but also like antioxidants and, and good stuff. Um, and then there's also like vitamin K is, is very high in potatoes and potassium. Um, so much cool stuff, but the same can be said for any other quote unquote inflammatory food. And I use those quotes liberally <laughs> because like, like tomatoes or bell peppers or any of the other nightshade vegetables, like I said, uh, you know, in the beginning of this episode, they contain other antioxidant compounds like 
lycopene and many others that are widely studied and understood with, uh, with, with clear certainty to have protective beneficial effects when it comes to, you know, all sorts of inflammatory conditions. So there's way more evidence that eating these whole plant foods that are in the nightshade family, there's way more evidence that they are promoting anti-inflammatory pathways and promoting the reduction of chronic disease than they are promoting those diseases and inflammatory pathways. They're, they're doing good. They're not doing harm. Um, and again, we can just kind of observe this, you know, holistically, if you will. Um, I feel like there was one other thing that I wanted to say on the topic. Just going to blabber for a second while I go to my notes because I jotted some things down. Oh, yeah, I did want to talk about we talked about this in the prior Nightshade episode, um, but I wanted to review this because I think that this is really important as well. And that is the topic of reversing food sensitivities. Um, so if you eat foods and experience inflammation, or experience some, you know, ex exacerbation of symptoms, like, you know, you, you eat a potato, and it gives you a stomach ache, or you eat a can of beans, or, uh, you know, hummus, and you, you know, have pain in your knee, or something like that. It's often, it's common, and, and actually, a lot of uh, nutritionists, and naturopathic doctors, or functional doctors, uh, might be coaching you to identify your quote, unquote, triggers, and then kind of, uh, you know, avoid your triggers. And on, you know, first glance, this makes sense. It's like, if you eat potatoes, and potatoes cause symptoms, then don't eat potatoes. But I don't know about you. I want to eat potatoes. And not only do I want to eat potatoes, I want to have a body and a system that is resilient to deal with and process any number of things that are, you know, healthy or maybe toxic. Um, don't want to go down too much of a tangent there, but for example, a lot of people also talk about mold sensitivity and I don't know about you, but I don't want to be sensitive to mold. I want to be resilient to those sorts of toxins. In other words, I want a body that is capable of processing and detoxifying from any sort of things that would cause symptoms. I want to be able to deal with things. I don't want to have to live in a life to manage and mitigate uh, what I'm exposed to, even though, you know, of course, we want to be mindful of any sort of, you know, outright overt toxins that might be detrimental to our health. We want to be mindful of those, but we also want to be resilient. So how do we reverse food sensitivities? We, well, the first thing we have to understand is that if we avoid those quote unquote trigger foods, whether they're night in the nightshade family or, you know, foods that are just high in fiber or kale or other oxalates or lectins or any of the other things that we've talked about, um, just avoiding those foods doesn't resolve the sensitivity. It's, it's just avoiding the things that are triggering. You know, it's like, you know, if, if, um, if someone, you know, calls you a name, call, calls you, a, you know, a, a retard or something like that, I don't know if that's not politically correct, but like you, you don't want to, uh, you know, get your feelings hurt. You want to have the confidence and understanding and self-love and compassion for yourself that those 
words just like don't mean anything, you know? And I think that we can cultivate a similar resilience to the foods that we're eating. And how do we do that? We do that by exposing ourselves to those foods. We, do, we don't limit or avoid or restrict or, um, you know, you know, take less of those foods in. We actually take more of those foods in, but we do so in a controlled and mindful sort of way. Um, so let's understand just real briefly the science of what's going on when we're talking about food sensitivities. So this, the study that we looked at, you know, having to do with the Solanaceae family, the glycoalkaloids and the potatoes, they talked about increased intestinal permeability. Um, so if we have some inflammation in the gut and we have this increased intestinal permeability, then some food proteins and molecules are potentially going to be leaking from our intestinal tract into our bloodstream undigested. And that can create a, an immune response. And that immune response can therefore, then for, therefore, then kind of create systemic effects, whether they're, you know, joint pain or brain fog or anything else. Uh, but the problem is not the food particle that's going through the intestinal membrane. The problem is the increased intestinal permeability. The problem is that leaky gut phenomenon. And the underlying issue of that leaky gut phenomenon is not the food that's going through. I, I just said that, but I'm just saying it again. The problem is not the food that is going through. The problem is that the gut, the leaky membrane is leaky. And what causes the leaky membrane to become leaky is a deficiency of bacteria in the gut, a deficiency of the microbiome. So we want to actually cultivate more microbial biodiversity within our gut. And the only way to do this is by eating more of the fiber-rich whole plant foods that feed those microbes. Um, so if you do eat black beans or broccoli or spinach or bell peppers and have a stomach ache and have a little inflammation or whatever it feels like to you, then what that means is some of those fibers, some of those phytonutrients, some of those compounds that are in those foods that you're eating are not being sufficiently broken down specifically by your gut bugs, probably because your gut bugs are playing a huge role in the digestive process. So you have therefore a little bit of a deficiency of those specific microbes. And we want to feed those specific microbes by eating more of those specific foods, not less, but we want to do so in a controlled and mindful sort of environment. I hope that wasn't too complex or convoluted. We've got other episodes that have probably quite honestly done a better job of explaining the process of reversing food sensitivities. Uh, but it's important to know that we don't need to avoid the foods that we're quote unquote sensitive to. We can avoid those foods for a week or two or three to just let things calm down. But then we want to reintroduce them again in a grounded, controlled, mindful sort of way where we are first and foremost sitting down feet on the ground, taking a breath, exhaling, feeling grateful. And in doing so, you know, we're, we're not running around. We're not, you know, eating and driving. We're not watching the news. We're grounded. And our body is given this opportunity and space to be in its true parasympathetic state, right? The parasympathetic state of the autonomic nervous system where we are resting and digesting. And we're, you know, 
creating hydrochloric acid and whatnot. Um, I feel like this is kind of going, <laughs> going deeper than I anticipated into the reversal of food sensitivities. But I just, just thought that that's a very important thing because the sensitivity to foods is real. Um, and we can also reverse this sensitivity process. And lastly, I do have a note that I wanted to touch on the fact and phenomenon of the placebo and nocebo effects. And this is hugely powerful, as especially as it relates to our digestive process and stuff. So if you read an article that says that, uh, you know, um, nightshades are going to cause inflammation, and if you're, and if you have night, if you have inflammation or experience inflammation in your body, and you're eating nightshades, then like the, these pathways are going to connect, and you're going to buy, you might buy into this, and therefore perpetuate and create more of this, more of this phenomenon that is in fact not true. You know, you might create it in your body. Um, so understanding the power of the nocebo effect—that is the power of creating symptoms from nothing and also the power of the placebo effect the power of curing our body from nothing is really really empowering i think just understanding these principles and processes that take place in your body really all the time we're all susceptible to this inherent inherent innate force of creation creating our own health or disease in our body um, so I guess that's probably a good place to end. Um, again, uh, if you want to know more about the specifics, um, I don't, not the specifics, if you, if you want to kind of an, another recap, if, if, if this didn't really, um, satisfy your desire to understand nightshades, we already talked about that in, in a, a little bit more depth and a different depth in episode number 257, again, about a year and a half ago. Uh, but I just wanted to take a different approach to the episode today. So hopefully it was this, you know, landed all right. Hopefully this didn't confuse you more for sure. And uh, feel free to leave any comments or feedbacks, feedback in the, uh, in the comment section. Uh, let me know how you're doing with nightshades, like what your experience is. Um, and how you're doing navigating the world of nutritional science and um, if you feel overwhelmed by anything else. I always uh, appreciate getting that feedback. And quite honestly, a lot of the, the comments have been helpful for the progression and evolution of this podcast. So feel free to leave any comments about things that you are interested in learning more. I certainly have enjoyed the perpetual learning curve that we are, that I am on and hopefully we're all on. Um, so thanks again for tuning in and hope you guys have a beautiful rest of the day and have, uh, you know, a peaceful understanding of your nutritional foods that you choose and have confidence in choosing those foods that are, that are going to feel good and nourish you. Um, so have a great, great one and see you guys next time. Peace and love.